Uh, welcome to Feminist Question Time, brought to you by Women's Declaration International, the leading feminist organisation, global organisation, promoting women's sex-based rights um, and defending women's sex-based rights against the threats posed by gender identity ideology. There's more information on the website, womensdeclaration.com, where you will find our declaration on women's sex-based rights, which has been signed by 36,053 people from 160 countries and is supported by 510 organisations from all over the world. We have many volunteer activists, including country contacts from every continent engaged in defending women's rights, and we'd be really grateful if you could join us as a volunteer. Today, we're going to hear from Vaishnavi Sundar from India. Uh, Vaishnavi's talk is going to be behind the looking glass, an upcoming film on the lives of trans widows. And we've got a clip to show, and then we're going to talk to her, and Vaishnavi's going to talk about the film and uh, the progress towards it and how you can support it. Then we're going to hear from Donna, Krasnicki from Austria. She organized the Let Women Speak meeting in Vienna. She's going to talk about how to organize a meeting, how the logistics of getting a meeting like that sorted out. And so hopefully that will uh, inspire others to do these sort of meetings and um, and also a bit about background. So it would be just great to hear from her. Then we're going to hear from El Beatrice, who is the... Um, the chair of the WDI, Women's Declaration International Legal Committee, and a lawyer, and she's going to talk about issues with the UN-endorsed 8th of March principles and the WDI legal response. So that's going to be very interesting. And then we're going to hear from Zan Dalio, who, and, and about who's launching on behalf of WDI a why did I sign the declaration campaign we've sent out some information about it but it's asking uh signatories of the declaration to explain why they've signed and that's going incredibly well and um really nice we're going to start off first of all um with Vaishnavi Vaishnavi is the WDI country contact for India and publishes amazing articles and also the fantastic film that um, uh, you published last year. And there's now coming up a new film, Behind the Looking Glass, which is going to be about the lives of trans widows. Um, so uh, Vaishnavi, will you tell us a little bit about it? And then the, the, the clip you've got from it, I've got it ready. So like you said, uh, the title is Behind the Looking Glass. It's a feature length documentary about the lives of trans widows. Trans widows are women who have taken up this terminology for themselves whose husbands or partners have quote-unquote transitioned so we hear so much about the stunning and brave stories of these husbands you see them in all newspapers you see them being celebrated on mother's day you see them in newspapers on women's day but you hear very little about the women uh, that are married to these men and um, even as idle curiosity you don't hear about the women that are resisting said transition you hear about the women who have completely agreed to it are calling themselves lesbians right now they are probably popular because they are aligning themselves with the ideology completely so you hear so much about the women that are uh, saying that they are now lesbians utterly bizarre things that you hear about the wife but not the uh, not uh, the stories of wives who are saying no to this who are saying that they are not lesbians and that they did not marry a woman and that they want to either 
stay married with the man that they married in the beginning or you know just end this whole um circus so to speak so my story my film is uh, documenting stories of 18 women from around the world and though i would have really liked it if uh, i had stories of women from india as well but uh, we are far away from that because we don't have that vocabulary one one and because of all our languages and everything it's very difficult for women to come up with um c- compiling their emotions and experiences in a way that can be understood globally because right now there is also the socio cultural phenomenon where there are these communities called kotis within the hijra community where it has been known for many many years decades even where there are men who have families children and things like that but they also have this double life where they cross dress and they probably solicit at night perform sex work quote unquote so this has been going on now any resistance to that it's going to be questioning the very cultural phenomenon that has been going on in india like challenging indian culture itself or something like that so it's going to be a long time before women are gathering that one their courage and also to have like the vocabulary to speak out about all of these things but i will kind of draw a broad um uh, sort of understanding about the status of women in india right now because many women are able to seek divorce on the basis of the fact that their adult partners seeking sexual reassignment surgery so the court is granting them divorce on that basis not because they are concerned for women not because they think it's the right thing to do but because they no longer consider this as a valid married married institution right because that man has transitioned and become a woman and there are so many other horrible things that are going on that you you never hear about because it's not advertised as such like self id is legal here adult men intact males can self declare declare themselves to be female and can get f marker on their passports if they wanted to because there is a legal precedent somebody has already done it so every high court sort of just basically citing that as an example and seeking the same thing for their respective uh, passports as well so it's all extremely dangerous situation and as you know when things get really bad it is the global south that is going to be paying the price for it a lot longer because the west would have moved on and found something else to fight for but the ramifications of things that are going on in the global south is going to last a lot longer and probably women are going to be utterly confused because they won't even know what has hit them yeah i mean it's it's absolutely horrifying i mean i i'm really interested in knowing what how's the government and how like how's modi reacting to this his his it just seems like um yeah i mean does he ever say talk about it you would never hear any politician talk about this at all you wouldn't mm. uh, have anyone make a public statement about this but silently what's going on is they're all just affirming because it is under modi rule that we have something called smile it's an acronym it's basically uh, like a facility that is created by the state to provide some sort of a financial or a recourse for marginalized communities so within that there are now um, homes that are set up in different states called um, it's it's like a garima grah basically it's like a home where if you run away from your house if you want a place to stay you can go there it's exclusively for trans identified male and female but it's exclusively for trans identified uh, people and the government is providing 5 lakhs rupees as insurance uh, if you want to get um, you know surgeries and things and if you go to any state hospital it is free so to me and also parallelly uh, gay marriage hasn't been legalized yet so to me this is basically quietly just transing the gay away right because yeah. why are you holding on to one 
community's uh, freedom to marry while quietly just providing everything to this other community that is basically not even part of uh, uh, you know the, the the civil rights movement to so to speak in india so basically anything that is provided by the government the trans community is seeking that for itself and they are claiming that on the on the mere fact that they are also a marginalized community there is no other basis for it other than that so modi does not make a statement nobody will make a statement and also it's the union government right each state has its own state based laws as well so there are some states that are more woke than the rest um unfortunately tamil nadu the state that i belong to is kind of liberal has always been liberal so they are providing a lot of schemes uh, trans identified males can now travel in female only buses and things like that so yeah so many things are happening but you will not hear a politician make statements like that although there are mlas and mps who will make uh, statements that uh, write news newspaper articles that we need to provide uh, schemes and other things for trans identified males because trans women are women and they are marginalized etc etc and also there is a huge overlap between caste and trans identification in india as well because most of these com- the members of the hijra community come from a marginalized caste so it is very easy for anybody to look at that and think that it's a very important cause to fight for because they are from an oppressed caste and you need to you know help them come away from it etc but that has got nothing to do with identifying as the opposite sex at all but it's very difficult to get through to them because they immediately call you as an as somebody who's supporting the caste system itself which is not true so they sort of made it impossible for anybody to put forward sex based rights as an agenda because they have all of these other uh, systems in check they can yeah. easily call you things like the turf or you know and caste i i am considered to be an upper caste right so they look at me if i say anything they'll roll their eyes and they'll go of course it makes sense you will say that because you don't care about uh, the yeah, caste yeah. system and how it is affecting people things like yeah, that yeah yeah and you're just oppressing people it's it's absolutely horrific and it's it it's it looks as if it's jumped a long way ahead so this is the future this is the future that we're very scared of and it's yeah. been implemented without the lesbian and gay rights bit of the 30 years of liberation it's just gone yeah. straight there to the horrors and yeah. um and it's chaotic as well so like you say it's very difficult to resist it in the supreme court uh, conversation where the petitions were being heard for same sex marriages i was I'm cringing so much because every uh, lawyer that put forth a petition is talking about trans rights and talking about non-binary and using terminologies like assigned male at birth and you know all of those terminologies that have no legal basis whatsoever and they are schooling the judges explaining to them how you know this is this is how the future is and etc it's very complicated because pertaining to my film right now they are saying that trans identified males marrying a female is now a gay rights issue which is not it is not it's just straight couple right so and they, so there is no concept of biological sex in this whole discussion and that is a scary thing especially in a country where you have rapes happening every minute probably and all other forms of uh, sexual violence that women have to go through from the time they are born there are villages in india still where uh, you can you can check the sex uh while the baby is still in, inside the mother's body but because it is illegal because they have had there have been cases of uh, female feticide and things but now even in in some places once a child is born if it is female 
there are customs where you go to a certain old lady who can poison the child because it is female this is still happening now and yeah. they are conveniently ignoring the importance of sex hello my name is vaishnavi sundar and i'm a filmmaker from chennai india i have been making films since 2013 and all my work is about the lives and experiences of women i have taught myself to make films over the years and i now write direct produce and edit all my films learning new things every day some of you may know me as the creator of dysphoric the four part documentary series on the rise of gender identity ideology and its effects on women and girls thank you to everyone who watched shared and supported the film i am now in the process of making my next project and it is called behind the looking glass in this film i'm documenting the stories of women whose partners or husbands transitioned i've spoken with nearly 40 women of which 18 stories will be part of the film these are women from all over the world because this phenomenon much as the ideologues would have you believe is not rare the film will feature stories of women from japan australia germany and many others and i will include the latest developments in india where a growing number of adult males are seeking surgeries and the courts are considering it as a valid reason for divorce unfortunately though given the population and diversity of languages indian women are yet to log their experiences using the vocabulary that is universally understood but i regret south asia is soon going to be engulfed by it filmmaking is a time consuming job and it is highly dependent on two things building a strong like minded team and of course money and ever since i started talking about the harms of gender identity ideology my access to both these things have been snatched away the more controversial i get the lesser my chances of finding collaborators and funding suffice to say it is a lonely and exhausting job to take on several aspects of filmmaking all by myself but with the help of a very small team and the feminist support from women world over I hope I will execute this project just like I did Dysphoric. But I need your help. Max, Male Allies Challenging Sexism is a group of pro-feminist men challenging male violence against women in all its forms through events, actions and activism. They have come forward to collaborate with me on this project as a fundraising partner. Considering how much work women-led feminist groups take on, it is good that Max have stepped in to pull the weight. While women donate so generously towards this fight, I hope Max will be able to persuade men too to come forward and support projects like mine. 100% of funds donated by a Max go into making the film, and you can donate as little or as much as you can. Another way to support my film involves owning some pretty fabulous merchandise. Women's Rights Network and Violet Vent have introduced a new line called fearless female on their merch store to raise funds for behind the looking glass you can choose from a long list of things like t-shirts hoodies water bottles mugs tote bags phone cases and such every time you buy from the store 75% of the proceeds go into the film now you get to own something pretty amazing while also contributing to making a very important documentary we are building eight characters from scratch who have to remain anonymous due to possible dangers from their ex-partners. 
So your donation will help me bring those characters to life. Your donation will also help me with the huge expenditure towards post-production. As many of you know, I try to always work with an all-female crew. So by supporting this film, you are in turn supporting all the women in the crew. Behind the Looking Glass, in all likelihood, is the first ever documentary made on this subject. And together, we can create a historic piece of film that will remain on the internet for posterity. Please donate now. Anyone who's experiencing abuse or infidelity, it's not getting better. Get out. Get yourself out of this. Do not allow yourself to be persuaded or influenced by blandishments and manipulative arguments. Try to extricate yourself. Figure out the finances. There is nothing you can be or do that will make you the object of his affection. He is the object of his affection. It's like my dad died when I was 11, but I didn't realize. And I've been mourning him for 40 years. On the left, it's axiomatic that the untold stories will be told. This particular untold story, no one wants to hear. In a marriage where your partner started to use drugs or cheated on you, you would find therapists, support groups, and other women who would say, this is not your fault, but on this topic, people are very quick to question whether or not you responded to it correctly. Because a lot of what we're describing is familiar patterns of domestic abuse. And it's quite a big leap for people to make from hearing the stunning and brave story with the woman who goes along with it, to hearing our story, the woman who talks about how she's been abused. It's hardly covered at all. When it comes to newspapers and what sells newspapers and what gets clicks, I think a man standing there uh, in you know stilettos with fake breasts is obviously going to get more clicks, more attention and sell more papers than you know, the abused wife in the background. One narrative gets all the airtime and the other one just has to be silenced. And that's the woman who's saying, well, he hit me, he raped me. You know, he spent all our money, he was terrible to the children. Nope, that's now a woman, best sort of woman, the trans woman, and she just has to shut up. Women are finding us by Googling trans widows. What's been really surprising from looking at the website traffic is just geographically where a lot of these women are. Countries like Russia, Japan, and Saudi Arabia, you know, if we're going through it here and we're being silenced, how much worse must it be for all of those women in cultures where women don't have a voice at all? Because I think it happens in all cultures, in all religions, in all societies. This is not just a thing that happens to only white American or European people. When AGPs are fetishizing women's oppression, you have to ask yourself, is it even more likely that they're going to be fetishizing it in countries where women are even more oppressed? This man has been on this hero's journey. He's reinvented himself. He's come out like a phoenix or a butterfly or something like that. And he's now this beautiful woman. And there's this fucking bitch who is saying, no, 
That's not my story. This is my story too. You know, I married a man, you fathered my children. And she has to be silenced. Ich meine, wenn man zwei Kinder geboren hat, gerade mal wenn die Kinder noch klein sind, dann ist das Sexualleben halt ein bisschen, sagen wir mal, zweitrangig. Und damit wollte er mir sozusagen, dadurch, dass ich so abwesend bin, zu ihm, in seinen Augen wahrscheinlich eher ablehnend, müsste er das ja tun. So, look what you make me do. This might seem as though it's the end of everything for you, and it might seem as though it's the end of your life, everything you had or believed you had, um, but it isn't. J.K. Rowling has like a quote that uh, rock bottom is a great place to launch off from. That is the spot where you get to recreate and redefine what's important. If people choose to be horrible to me and to insult me and call me names, then so be it. I will not be silent about it. Not for my sake. The damage is done to my life now. But for the sake of women everywhere who are being silenced on this subject, I'm speaking out for those people. I cannot tell you how much happier I am now than I ever was in my marriage. It's better on the other side. Yeah. Thank you so much for making that. That's amazing. That is amazing. It's um, it's a, just a delight to see it, and um, uh, I just can't wait for the whole thing to come out. I'm I'm just worried that Matt Walsh is going to copy this and say it was his idea. <laughs> yeah, just earlier today, I'm in a different city right now to do more animation work. Uh, that's why the purple background is missing. But uh, I'm here because. I've been so sleepless and I can't find my words right now, but there is so much that I wish to say uh, about the Indian situation and about the film as well. But right now, I feel like I have this tunnel vision to just finish the film. Sleep doesn't matter, food doesn't matter, nothing matters, just got to finish the film. But yeah, it's true that soon after this is over, there are going to be 100 men that will still say, where are the feminists? Why haven't they done anything about it? Feminists are the reason why things have gone wrong, things have gone wrong. Like there is no electricity in my house, feminists are to blame. No matter all the other things that are going on in life, this seems to be like the priority right now. So I am really glad that I could speak to all of you today. Uh, WDI has been absolutely supportive to everything that I have done so far. So to be able to speak about this and show this trailer to all the women that are in the webinar and later on to me, the whole world to me. So if anybody can help by um, sharing or donating whatever little you can, the amount really does not matter, but every little will help. Uh, if you can't afford to donate, it's perfectly okay. Please just share the trailer as widely as possible. And if there are ways in which I can spread about spread information about this trailer if you have a substack if you have a blog if you have a podcast we'd like to have me over please just write to me i just wanted to say that the film will become available for free for everybody to watch soon after it is done as usual with all my films uh, that's why it's even more important that we all make this possible to be made and uh, it's an all female crew uh, like i said in the video and um, it's important also because in the global south it seems like I'm always a little bit ahead in terms of getting this information out. Like a lot of people that are watching it or even knowing about gender identity disorder, gender, gender dysphoria and things like that, 
haven't heard about this issue as much as the rest of the world has. So if you talk to common people, it seems like it is going to take them another five years before they realize how serious the issue is. So I think it's even more important that we have all of these resources available for those people when they are faced with a situation like this. We're going to now go to our next panelist, who is Donna uh, Krasnicki. So Donna is uh, the organiser of the Vienna Let Women Speak meeting, which was last week, which was massively successful, in my view. Um, I watched the whole of it, as I bet loads of loads of women here did. Um, and so that Vienna is in Austria and it was quite a good event. And you have very kindly said you'd come on and tell us about the how you organised it, the before, during it and some of the aftermath. Um, so that would be really helpful. And bearing in mind, some of the women here might be able to copy what you've done and, and do it again. So, if you, you know, even if you're just explaining how you organised it, that's really helpful for us. Thank OK, you. great. So. Tell us the story. I started uh, Speaker's Corner in copying um, what is, has been done for years now in Hyde Park by Posey Parker, Kelly J. Keane. And um, I just, you know, after being two years, I mean, I, I'm a feminist for 12 years now. I am, I am in the Social Democratic Party. Um, I work uh, for uh, the Vienna, I'm, I work in the Vienna Town Hall. Um, and I've been a, a political campaigner or like for, for years now. But um, after being in the, this gender war um, for two years now, I just had enough um, because I thought um, we can't just do it on Twitter uh, because people are keep telling us that uh, it's just two women, you know, with their actual names. <laughs> in the handle and all the others are I don't know Russian bots or something which is not true because I of course we are organizing and we have all these groups um, and, and I know the women personally but I, I also understand the reasons why these women cannot you know go um, out on Twitter with the real names and and then talk about these things because of the silencing and the canceling that is going on they're afraid to lose their jobs um, and be being smeared. So I just thought, okay, um, maybe we should just take it to the streets so people see that this is just like in uh, Great Britain, this is not just two women on the internet and a whole bunch of Russian bots. And we did that last year, for, it was three times and it was okay, it was quite uh, successful. But um, the situation in Austria is a little bit different than it is in Germany. In Germany, self-ID is about to come. They have the draft of the law already set. Um, and they just, I mean, I think it's going to happen this year. They just want to pass it. So, yeah. And Switzerland, the German, uh, I'm talking about the German speaking countries, you know, Europe, Switzerland has um, self-ID in effect for uh, one year and a half now. So Austria doesn't have that. And there is not an actual draft threatening women. But um, the Social Democratic Party has uh, put uh, self-ID as its policy. So it is possible for uh, men within the party to run as a woman uh, for the next uh, general election and get a women's seat, a woman's seat in the parliament. And yeah, this is what, when I started to criticize uh, the party policy. And this is when I started, you know, to be really, really open about it with my real name and everything. And then in October, I just thought, yeah, um, I don't know if women 
in Austria feel threatened at all or if there is enough women to talk about that. Um, in Vienna, we are, I think, about 100 women who are aware of the topic and feminists or just, you know, mothers who are worried. Um, we have unisex toilets in schools already, but the media is not talking about it. We have it at university, they're not talking about it. And so I thought maybe I just, it, maybe I just asked Posey Parker and I wrote her an email in October and she wrote me back 10 minutes later. I was completely baffled. I was like, what? Because I just wrote this, you know, the general address. And she wrote me back, yes, I will come. And this is, this was, uh, a week before her America, uh, her US tour started. And then she went to um, Australia. And I, I assume you've been following her tours all over the globe now. And then <laughs> when things got really, really, really awful in New Zealand, my very uh, good friend, um, um, Tash, who lives in Vienna, but is herself an English woman, wrote me, we cannot let this, um, you know, she was so mad about what happened to Posey Parker and this 70-year-old woman who had her, uh, her um, cheekbone broken by men in New Zealand during the rally. Um, and she was so mad about that. And she told me, Donna, I don't care. We have to go to Hyde Park. You know, we have to support these women. So she booked us the flight and we went to Hyde Park for April 30th. And in, um, and um, on April 30th, um, when I was at Hyde Park, um, I wanted to speak and Posey saw me and she said, I'm coming to you. And I, I, because I totally forgot about that, you know, that I asked her and everything because I just figured she might be just busy and she's going there and there all over the world. Vienna is not the most important place to be um, in, when it comes to the topic. And, and she told me, I'm coming to Vienna. And I asked her, yeah, yeah, no, I know. And she said, no, I'm coming in June. And I said, what? I mean, <laughs> I didn't hear about it. So I had six weeks to organize, but um, it, it, I knew that you can organize an event in six weeks because I've done it in my life, I mean, many times. So I just told her, okay, that's news to me, but I can manage. And she was, I think for a second, she was worried that I can't. But um, of course, um, I, I knew that we can do that. And then when I got back home, I already started working. And yeah, the most important thing um, is, I guess, or was, I guess, to make the police um, understand that this is not only controversial, but women are being threatened over these rallies, you know, they want to silence us, they don't want to let us speak. And I had to make uh, Vienna police understand that we really need protection, that this is not just a little, you know, um, feminist rally, because they know feminist rallies, nobody's really, you know, um, being, um, have a, ha having a problem with that. At least this was the case for past uh, decades. But now people have problems with that. And I wrote this huge email to the police. And and then um, I put, you know, the video of the Hyde Park event with the police protection, I put in the email to make them see how good the English police are handling the situation. Uh, at least that day in Hyde Park they did because I know that women have had problems in Great Britain with their police protection at uh, that Park. That's such a good tip. So you sent the video of the of the British police saying this is how that how police do it. Fantastic. Yeah, to make Fantastic them kid. you know want to to, to, to <laughs> make them a little bit competitive about it. You know. Yeah. So 
Um, no, but but I had to put the video um, on YouTube because you can't just send videos to the police because they have the big firewalls and you can't just send data or media. Um, so I had to put it on my YouTube channel and make it unlisted. So nobody else is going to see the video. It's just for police purpose. And I'm, I uh, did send them the link. Links are allowed. So. And, and the whole, and I posted the whole, you know, I, I told them all about it, how she was, you know, um, how they um, threw tomato soup on her, how the uh, mob um, encircled the women, how this 70 year old woman was beaten and, and had her cheekbone uh, broken and everything. And, um, and, and I told them that the Antifa is already, um, has already announced their counter protest. And then the police invited me in to a talk. And that was actually really, really nice because uh, there were these five policemen there, you know, um, and, and they asked me, why do you think this is controversial? And I said, no, he, they asked me, so what, what is this rally about? And I said, you know, quite frankly, we don't believe that uh, women have penises. And the policeman said, aha, uh -huh, uh, but why is this controversial? And I said, I know, I don't know, but we can say it and people are getting really, really mad about it. And we don't want men to self-identify into our saunas, you know, you know, the, the, the stances. And, and he was like, nah, 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 I don't, I don't get it. Nobody's going to have a problem with that. And then can you imagine there was this other policeman who told him about Jackie Rowling and what she's been through and I looked at him and I'm like, oh, my God, there's a chair with me here. And this was never have happened. And, and the fact that, you know, there was another policeman and uh, telling them about the hate women are getting for saying basic things. They believed him more, I guess, than just, you know, a woman they'd never seen before. And, and then really it was not, no problem at all because they told me the whole Sigmund Freud Park is going to be uh, um, closed for our event. So the counter protesters cannot stand on the park. And um, they told me that they're going to put up um, these metal fences, you know, to keep us uh, safe. And I mean, the amount of police officers there, and it was not like in Geneva, the Robocop police officers with the water thrower, not like this threatening um, message. It was in the normal uniforms, but it was 100 of them, women police officers, you know, and they were standing around our fence and listening to our speeches. And I, I, can, I remember this policewoman like really closely listening to what we are saying. And after the event, because the event went by so nicely, we were about 100, maybe 120 women, um, which might be for some people not much. But I mean, as I already said, this was Austria. So the whole topic, we are always three or five years behind Germany and Germany is three or four or five years behind England or America. So, you know, it's like 2014 for you guys, you know, so this is Austria. And, and then still it was women came from, um, um, from, from the Netherlands, from Sweden, from uh, Poland. We had lesbian, we had this lesbian collective from Poland who came. We had, we had, women, we had a woman from Slovakia. We had, um, we had mothers, um, grandmothers. We had students, young lesbians. There were so many lesbians there. And I mean, um, there was this uh, um, very, very, um, 
re, uh, now, uh, renowned, do you say it, um, lesbian documentary uh, filmmaker in Austria. Um, she was there. She, she, the, I mean, she took um, a lot of material from it and she filmed the event. Um, and I don't know if she, she's going to do something with that. But I mean, just the fact that she kept it, you know, for maybe historical purposes and she could get all the speeches in. And that was that. So when the when the event after you know one hour and fifty minutes was interrupted by I mean this huge storm rain, um, um, we had to leave the the venue, and um, I was just you know ah, finally all the responsibility from my shoulders. I was very worried about women. I know that a lot of women didn't come because they were still afraid, even though I try to make them, you know, feel safe and tell them that I had, I mean, I had the talk with the police, they're gonna protect us, I am sure. Um, but of course you can't be 100% sure that if the police is gonna keep the word, you know? So I had, I, I mean, and then anyway, what happened? Yeah, maybe this is the before. And then we went to the pub and in the pub we, um had fun and it was really really nice i think a lot of a lot of women went out this evening um i didn't because i was exhausted but um it was such a nice experience and i i was so happy i was so happy that it went well so um i it was just unbelievable i watched it um i don't know if i was watching it live but i think i probably was um, I thought there were loads of really, really good speeches and it was lovely to see. And it was also fantastic. So I mean, it's very lucky for us that English speakers, that so many people spoke in English. And then, um, uh, but I, I thought that the speech from the Dutch woman who came along and said she, I think she was brought, born in Somalia, maybe mm -hmm. somewhere in East Africa. Um, was so powerful um, that um, it was just a classically brilliant speech. So if anybody hasn't, oh, we should try and clip it out of, out. I mean, the whole thing was good, but that was mm -hmm. just unbelievable. And I think that um, the, the ability to, for, for women to come along and just speak um, pretty much every one of these events has something outstanding, at least one or two or three. So I, I was just blown away with this. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I just um, thought it's one of the best things I've ever heard. So and then and it's so in inspiring. So so it sounds as if we could all do this in our in our on our local areas and the police are mm -hmm. quite positive now. So you felt that was quite you've got quite a lot of support and. Were you quite yeah, pleased? The police after after the event, the, this all the police officer came over and he was so nice. And he even I mean I was very agitated and all my stress fell out, so I couldn't really small talk with him. But the British women, <laughs> polite, being polite, spoke to him a lot. And then he was like, I mean, they they had this banter where <laughs> where he said that um, I didn't know uh, the, the English women said thank you to him. You know, this is um, very this was ex exceptional. Um, what you did, blah, blah, blah. And then he said, oh, I bet you say this to all policemen. And then they laughed, you know, and <laughs> I just thought to myself, yeah, OK, 
way. <laughs> you know what I mean, um, I was really glad, you know, that they did such a great job, and I um, I'm very thankful. But um, yeah, I, I really think after they saw that we're really this, you know. Um, ordinary women you know um that they understood that there's really nothing bad about us nothing you know hateful so yeah this is that and about uh, lydia her name is um the dutch woman uh, with yeah. african origins um what she said i mean she said so many things and i encourage you all to watch the video um yeah. but but what she one thing is she, that she said and um you know the un has um, this, um, when you go at the UN site uh, for girls' safety and health, um, you can read that they say that girls' toilets, you know, are um, a very, very big factor when you want to make girls in, you know, South Asia, Africa go to school because these girls don't go to the schools, even though there might be one or they build one, because they are, um, they have, um, you know, a very, very high possibility to being raped. But if you build female only, girls only toilets, there is a, you know, a direct, um, 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 I don't know, threat to these two things. And what she said, and I think, I mean, I, I, I just love that, that she said that as an Af African woman, she said, and it is just so, uh, um, stupid to think that in Europe or in the West, we can just abolish these things now, you know, um, just make our girls, our girls not go to their own uh, girls only toilets when they are at school. And, and this was very wonderful, but she said a lot of brilliant things, uh, other brilliant things. So please just watch her video and her, hear her say it in her very unique and powerful way. Um, Yes. Yeah, this was all great. So I was very relieved. I was very happy. And then the, the aftermath, you know, and this is where it was. I mean, this was just the past week for me was insane. It was really insane. Um, and I've been through shitstorms, so I can manage it. And I know that it is good to after some days uh, of being in a shitstorm on Twitter or in a media shitstorm, um, it is necessary to just take your time off and be offline, you know, because, yeah, it really is not that good for um, the stress level. Um, what happened after, maybe I can say it quickly. Um, mm. So there was one thing, there was the, this um, incident, and I have to tell, tell you that. Um, on Sunday after the event, a woman posted the link to the live stream on Twitter, and under the link, a, um, a local parliament, you know, um, um, parliament um, um, chairholder for, of the Greens, a transit identified man posted P99 under the live stream um, of this woman on Twitter. And P99 is a German gun, the Walter P99. And if you Google P99, you only the gun shows up. There's not. There's no Urban Dictionary other code for it. It's just the gun. So um, I consider that a death threat, and I spoke about it, and this got a lot of you know international um, reach, um, and and a lot of women, you know, feminist, uh, gender critical women um, shared my concerns about that. So on Monday. Um, the this guy resigned from his post, but none of the Green Party politicians 
spoke about that. None of my party politicians spoke about that. And normally they do that with everything, you know, just to make sure and to send a message to the women attending my event that under no circumstances is violence against women or threatening violence or murder against women okay because women now are worried even more worried to go to the event and i i needed just one politician to, to say hey this is not okay in, in a democracy you can't just go around and tell women you know you get my gun you get the bullet for, for, for going to the event. And, and this is something that really disappointed me, really, really um, disappointed me because up until now, I just thought, you know, that they just don't care about us. But it's not just that. I mean, they just wouldn't look at us even though we are directly threatened. And, and then, so this was that, and on Tuesday, and I thought on Tuesday, because three days after, I mean, I thought that nobody's going to speak about that again, because it's old news, you know. But on Tuesday, a, this feminist journalist, Beate Hausbichler, her name, um, um, a, a liberal feminist, I can only assume, um, because, you know, she's pro-sex work and anything pro, you know, because everything is about the, I don't know, a women's choice. And if a woman chooses, yeah, so everything is possible, even uh, affirming men's fetishes. When the woman says yes, it's feminist. And um, so what she did is write, write this huge um, analysis about the event. And she did the same thing about the New Zealand uh, event. Um, in April, but she did it again, and she did put in the same lies and defamations. And um, the interesting fact, because she fancies herself an actual journalist, she works for the women's department within this, I mean, newspaper, it's not, it's not, um, it's not just a little newspaper, it's like one of the bigger newspapers in Austria, it's Der Standard, and she works there in the women's department, and, um, and she wasn't even at the event. So she wasn't even there and she made this anal analysis about it, you know? So I don't know if that's considered journalism, but uh, she can, of course, she can do whatever she wants. Um, uh, and, and then, um, and, sh and she shared my employer. And four hours later, because it wasn't enough, um, smearing women, um, she did another article with another journalist on the event, just the same thing, you know, four hours later again, but now with my name and with my employer again. So she kind of doxed me because I don't have my employer anywhere on social media when I speak, you know, um, about women's rights. Um, but she, yeah, she, she did that. And the next day, this other newspaper, uh, Profil, called my employer and wanted a statement whether or not, you know, my employer thinks, uh, has, my, has my worldview of, you know, which is that women don't have penises. So um, this was really, really insane. And, and, and then I called them out for that. And I said, is it normal, you know, in a democracy to go around like um, Stasi <laughs> and, and call women's uh, rally organizers, employers? Um, why, why? This was not my employer's event. I didn't do it within hours, you know? And, um, and, and then, yeah, this, this was another shitstorm and Ugh, I can tell you, but now it's ebbed up a little, you know, it's like calming down and I really hope that they're going to leave me alone. But, but it was insane. Yeah, the, the past, they, they and I, what, maybe to end, 
um, uh, as a final statement, what really worried me was that the women watching it, because I had a, a lot of support, they wrote me, you know, mothers, for, I've never been in contact before, wrote me on Twitter that they share the same, um, the, the same worries. And they, um, and now that they see what happens to you, that the journalists call your employer or dox your employer, um, they are even more worried and, and cannot come to my events and things like that. And so I put out this statement on Twitter where I told the women and something that um, Posey Parker said in a live stream, uh, in, a, in a space, in a Twitter space two weeks ago. And I said, yeah, it's hard. It is really intense. Um, and without the support, you know, of my partner and my son, uh, support of my son, my son is very little, but you know, he's being funny um, without purpose. So that makes me happy. Um, without the without a support system, you know, it can get really tough, but I am okay, really, I don't care, you know, I really, I, now two days after I kind of emotionally forgot about it, you know, what happened. But, um, and this is the most important thing, the price for resistance is only going to get higher. And this is the part that um, Posey spoke about too. Um, if, we, if we are being, I mean, they try to silence, but if we stay silent, if, and we, if we don't go to these events and show up, they are going to make it even harder for us to do so. You know, it's not going to get easier. And the other fact why it's important to still go is because, well, I mean, when is it enough? Is it, it, does it have to be my niece? In, in five years or 10, um, who gets her breasts cut? You know, um, it, it, really, it really needs to be done now. So our nieces and daughters and sisters don't have to do it, you know, um, in, in 10 years or 20. And, and yeah, a, a lot of women said, yeah, no, now they are agitated. That's right. We we really need to stay on the message and, and keep yeah. talking about it. So Elle Beatrice is the chair of the WDI Legal Committee. Uh, she has a background in international law and human rights, works on various issues relating to sexual violence against women, particularly effective prosecution. She's currently working on a campaign to verify the claimed existence of help centres in India for victims of domestic and sexual violence. And this talk today is going to be about issues with the UN endorsed 8th of March principles and the WDI legal response. Today I'm here mainly as representative of the legal committee um, and, and coordinating our activities there. Uh, so many of you would have seen the publication of the um, WDI legal response, or, or rather the eight March principles that the ICJ introduced with a lot of fanfare. So um, one thing to first say is that while the ICJ, the International Commission of Jurists, um, they are not an international body. They are, however, a very significant non-governmental organization. And I actually <laughs> worked there once. So, so this is there's a lot of, I think most of us go through this where organizations that we once looked up to and worked for are now doing, um, pulling this kind of, well, trick. So I, I'm just really sorry, because I've just managed to stop your screen sharing. So if you could put it on again, that'd be brilliant. Okay, one second. Sorry about that. No problem. Let me just... Uh...
second. Oh, it was so perfect, and then I've I've um, messed this up. Yeah. Sorry. You're no, no, that's fine. That. That's fine. No, no worries at all. Yeah. So, um, so basically, the ICJ, however, is fairly influential, especially at the UN level, which is why, of course, we wanted to publish a response to this. We're still working on on some final details, but you, it will soon be up on the WDI website. And its publication will be announced through the WDI newsletter. So do keep an eye out. And for those of you who are um, not at risk, it would be great if you would feel up to sharing it. It's about five pages long, um, but that's unfortunately how much space it took to analyze this stuff. But the reason I put this picture up is to say that this wasn't just the International Commission of Jurists, OHCHR, was involved in signing off on it, the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights, um, the World Health Organization, and uh, U the UNDP, United Nations Development Program. Uh, so a lot of the very highly regarded international organizations were involved in, these, in the publication of these principles. And much of the uproar has been about principle 16, I will get to that, is about um, decriminalizing consensual sexual conduct. So in our response, WDI Legal has primarily responded to three principles, 16, 17, and 18. Principle 16, as you can see, is was on consensual sexual conduct and essentially saying, well, even any prescribed minimum age of consent to sex must be employed in a non-discriminatory manner. But very disturbingly, at the bottom of this page, as you can see in the image, it says sexual conduct involving persons below the domestically prescribed minimum age of consent to sex may be consensual, in fact, if not in law. This is extremely disturbing. As someone who used to actually work in the arena of family law and, and child rights, I can tell you that this gap between the 16 to 18 age range in law has already been exploited. So for example, in India itself, the age of marriage is technically 18. However, the law on statutory rape said um, 16. So there was a, there were a lot of child marriages carried out, uh, even at the time that I was a student and at the time I was practicing, where children would be below the age of 16 and they would just say, okay, we're just getting them married, and uh, but the marital relations would technically not uh, take place or they would claim that they weren't taking place. And of course, marital rape is also not considered rape. So child marriages and were still carried out. It, the, the, the statutory prohibition didn't apply even then to young girls in post marriages and in child marriages. So for the ICJ to come out and say something this reckless, to say sexual conduct involving persons below the prescribed age of consent may be consensual is ridiculous and reckless. Um, of course, when we started discussing this in the legal committee itself, among members of the legal committee, we discussed the issue that do we really want to say all um, teenage sexual conduct should be criminalized? And that is a concern. Yes, there may well be uh, teenagers who wish to engage in sexual intercourse, 
Um, but the way to deal with that is to make it very clear that we're talking about a particular group, especially those of similar age without a marital context in cultures where there is um, some kind of conversation about sex during teen years. If they did want to make an exception to the prohibition on sex under 18 or under 16, it can vary between countries. The way to go about this should have been to make the exception as narrow and as specific as possible. That's not what the ICJ did. And that's what we're saying in our statement is that if you were so concerned about teenagers engaging in sex, the fact that you went about it in this way is, is, is really troubling. Because like I said, the, age, the fact that statutory rape is mostly defined at 16 in most countries and the fact that marital age is, is legalized or, or marriage is technically legal after 18, there's already a gap. The 16 to 18 gap and, and whether it's actually criminal in that age has been an issue for child protection people for as long as I've known. It's been a, it's been a debate in, in all, in, in both in women's rights circles and in child protection circles. And lawyers have been trying to find a way around that. And I'm not saying that the situation is perfect, but the way that the ICJ went about this was disturbing. And I'm just going to skip ahead to this. The, the funny thing is because of the uproar to this principle, there were several responses from the organizations involved. The International Commission of Jurists, they responded as well as UNAIDS. And if you can see here, it is, I'm not sure if you can see because this is as large a screenshot as I could take. It says that criminal sanctions are not appropriate against adolescents of similar ages. So that's kind of the fourth line from the bottom. UNAIDS in their response were able to make this distinction that the exception should only apply to teenagers of similar ages. And yet in the published principles, which apparently went through many rounds of review and was endorsed by the OHCHR and by UNAIDS and by the World Drug Council, this, um, this specification does not appear. One thing that I do have to say about these principles is that the whole approach is don't criminalize things. Don't, don't use criminal sanctions for X and don't use criminal sanctions for Y. And we need to use criminal law as less as possible. And in the backlash to the principles, as usual, some of the rhetoric has also been about carceral feminism, because apparently now criminalizing conduct is also bad. And I think it's important for women in this webinar and, and for us to also be aware of, well, human rights sounding language. Of course, all of us are very aware of how um, it's being used to get rights for men pretending to be women, but the idea that criminal law must only be used very sparingly when, when it comes to drug offenses, when it comes to trafficking, when it comes to um, prostitution, this is part of that push, is that to say, don't criminalize stuff. Don't, don't criminalize um, uh, commercial sex. Don't criminalize anything. And it might be a good idea for people to really question, but hang on, what, what standards are we using? Yes, we, we used to criminalize a lot of, well, unnecessary stuff uh, many years ago, 
but that doesn't mean a lot of other conduct should not be criminal and treated as such. Sex traffickers get a maximum of five years if they're caught, and we all know how difficult that is. But currently, the ICJ and the entire international infrastructure is going full steam ahead to decriminalizing a lot of problematic conduct. Ironically, all of this conduct is stuff that hurts women. And a lot of women also, of course, support this trend because they're afraid of carceral feminism and they're afraid of an overcrowding in jails and how most people are being imprisoned for nothing. There's, there are a lot of myths surrounding criminalization and the fact that all of the international organizations are now going on this rampage of, of being very, very concerned um, about what's criminalized should be a red flag, not just in this context, but in, in many contexts. Uh, the second principle that we addressed and was that was problematic in the 8th March document is this principle 17, sex work. Again, we are all aware of the current uh, liberal position on prostitution, where they call it sex work, and they say that it must not be criminalized, it must be legalized, and the ICJ has also gotten on this bandwagon who say... Um, who, who have said that without, where there has been sexual conduct for um, financial or material benefit under fair conditions without coercion, force, abuse of authority or fraud, then it should be fine. This is, well, frankly ridiculous because aside from force and coercion, the most powerful influence in all of our lives is money. So obviously, if you if you say under fair conditions, what fair conditions? Are, is the government going to verify if all of these women are uh, completely consensual, if, if they have other choices? That's not being stated at all. Uh, I do think it's important here to mention that the position we've taken is to not just assert the radical feminist position. We've also said, look, if this is what you're arguing, then be able to defend it. You have said fair conditions. You haven't specified it because we're trying to engage with them on their own terms to say that even by your own logic, this makes no sense, right? Because otherwise they can just say, oh, well, we don't agree with you. Um, so our starting point is not to say, okay, this doesn't exist or you should just call it prostitution. Uh, our tone and the approach in this letter is even trying to follow your logic, this does not um, either make sense and, and where you think you've made a very bold statement, you haven't specified what these fair conditions are and you haven't specified how you're going to safeguard vulnerable women who need money um, from these kinds of conditions. The third principle that we have addressed is of course principle 18, which talks about sexual orientation, gender identity and gender expression. So, um, the most relevant part of this is the third paragraph, which talks about practices aiming to change or suppress a person's sexual orientation and gender identity, etc. As we all know, this is what they call as conversion therapy, and this is what they try to silence therapists and medical professionals who may try to give um, gender-confused kids an alternative. So within the statement, what we've said is, first of all, uh, this, uh, this does not apply to um, LGB because the, the second part of this principle says medical care should also be made available. 
except that LGBT people aren't asking for medical care to be who they are. They're just asking to, well, be left alone and to have their relationships legally recognized. So, well, as well known, they lump it all into one and they've tried to say that this is an issue of soji, sexual orientation and gender identity, when in fact, it's just an issue that is relevant to gender identity. So the response on that basis has just been, you're again, post-steaming, you are deliberately lumping a concern or a, a, an interest that is unique to one group. And you're asserting that sexual orientation also uses that. Minorities in sexual orientation also need that, such as medical procedures to um, be proud of their identity, which is not a thing that um, LGB people ask for. Um, so finally, as like I, I had already presented this earlier, the UNAIDS report, UNAIDS has responded to the backlash against the 8th March principles. The ICJ itself, just um, about a month after they released the first set of principles, they came and said, oh, we're not, you know, we're not against criminalizing sexual conduct between mine. I mean, we're not decriminalizing all forms of sex, except our entire approach there has been, if you were going to talk about teenagers, you should have been very specific that it's between similar ages. And your principles should state the conditions under which those children will be protected. So, of course, coercion can also exist between a 15-year-old and an 18-year-old, right? So when we talk, when you say similar ages, what age range are we talking about? Are we talking about the exact same year? And if, if you do want to say that criminal law should not apply, are you going to at least put in place some kind of process for verification that teenagers who engage in sexual conduct are doing so fully consensually. All of this is the responsibility of an organization like this that puts out these principles and yet that they have completely abdicated. Um, so we will release the final version of the statement very soon. And uh, we're looking forward to hopefully having it shared as well as there, there is a letter that um, uh, Joe has already talked about the statement in support of Reem Al-Salem. The legal committee is also working on another statement where we've um, particularly addressed AWAD's well, stupidity because the, the current statement being circulated for signatures is a generic statement and uh, of, of support for Reem's work. But we are also trying to respond specifically to AWID because it's time that well, we took the fight to them basically. And we can't just stay back and say, okay, well, she's doing her job, leave her alone. But also that, well, they're being insane. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's another thing that we've been working on. But this, uh, the WDI legal's response to the eight March principles will soon be made available. Some people asked how they can support resisting these principles. Like we said, um, uh, well, the, the statement itself will be published on the website, but we are also discussing whether we can, say, run a couple of open events, because one thing that we've decided, well, we kind of agreed on the legal committee is that at least some of us, we have to be open and, and we have to um, put our faces and names out there to resist the UN. Um, so, so we're thinking of other ways to, uh, to push this statement and, and some of our other submissions up. Uh, like I said, there will also be a response to AWID. We're also working on responding to the ICC is currently fudging the definition of gender in 
in the court. Um, so yeah, we as much as the people here can can advertise, or if you have any ideas to again elevate our response because the NGO community is so strong and they mostly just ignore us. So that's anything that anybody can do to help. And of course, uh, if there are lawyers in the crowd who are interested, just reach out to us at, at legal at womensdeclaration.com and we'll be happy to have them also on board. We've just got our, our final panelist, Suzanne Dalio. Yeah. Quite a lot of people will have seen the campaign that you've been working on with Amy. I have to, though, first say that this was a Amy Mangano's, I don't think she's made it today, brainchild. Um, and she's doing all of the uh, the posters. We're calling them billboards. Um, and I'll explain that in a minute. She's doing all of the work and I'm sort of the facilitating it through her. So, um, and 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 the the goal of, of this initiative, this campaign is very clearly, first and foremost, to put um, our voices out there, to give a platform to say, I signed the declaration and this is why. And then of course, secondarily, we hope that, you know, it will encourage other women and men to also sign the declaration. Um, that would probably be another campaign, you know, sign the declaration. Um, but so that's the that's the, the the first motive of it and the and the the or rather objective. And that's our primary objective to really give voice and visibility. Um, so uh, we've got a really nice response right now. We're still processing a few of the um, of the of the billboards that have been to send to us. And I want to um, also say that uh, I've been tagging on Twitter, and I'll show the Twitter feed in a moment. Um, uh, the the meme, I guess it's called, um, "Be the Billboard." Um, I very deliberately used that to, you know, to extend what Posey Parker started, which was that was. I mean, that she created, and um, I want to give her credit for that, um, because I think it's also important to have a community perspective in the movement um, and um, to share these kinds of tools, if you will, memes are, are tools in social media. And um, the other one is um, what I heard Kara Dansky um, use quite often is um, if we can be heard, we will win. Um, again, that's, you know, I, and I need to acknowledge Kara for that. I don't know if it if it was from her, her, her specifically, it doesn't matter. She was the person who made that meme uh, uh, known. And I think both of those really speak to what this campaign is about. Um, to get the word out there and um, to let women have a voice, um, just take a step in a, in a direction of courage, because isn't that what a lot of us feel on some level that, um, you know, our voices aren't heard, We've, we're afraid, and rightly so, to say something. Um, and there is a little bit of a safety barrier in this campaign because you can put a photograph 
or not of yourself. Um, and you put your statement and you, most people put their names, but you don't have to. Um, and, um, you know, social media and the web, there is some safety in it um, because it's not, you know, that physical interaction that we have with people that I know for me, it's, 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 yeah, it makes a difference. Um, so that's the sort of the background of it. Um, Amy has asked me, um, we've been getting a lot of, we've been getting, everybody's just been doing wonderful things. We've gotten some wonderful photos of um, women with their babies. They're cute. Um, and many women have just sent a, um, a statement without a photograph. If you do that, that's wonderful. We want your statement. If you don't want any kind of photograph, we understand, you know, if you if why you don't want to have your own photo with it. But if you'd like to send some kind of image, that would be great. That would help Amy out. Um, if not, we'll just put your statement up there. We don't need to have an image on all of them. That's not necessary. I also want to um, reiterate, and I'll keep doing this again and again, we really want, we're an international organization and uh, we default to the English language, but we've gotten two so far foreign language, Spanish and German. Um, and we really want um, to have a representation from as many languages as possible. It can or it doesn't need to be translated. Um, uh, we realize that you're speaking to a particular linguistic community. That's wonderful. Um, I think that's. Uh, I think it's vital that we, um, as an international organization, that we welcome other uh, countries it, through their culture. And language is a really big part of culture. Um, so let me um, share my screen. I think I can, and I'll just scroll really quickly through the Twitter feed um, that has the latest um, billboards on it. So this is our Twitter feed. And we're actually gaining, uh, every week we gain more and more um, followers. So let's go right to one of the ones. Here we are. So um, this, is a, this is a stock photo. Um, and what I meant by sending us a photo or, or some kind of an image that it takes Amy time to find an appropriate image. So um, if you don't care about an image, we're just going to put, the, put your text up there. That's fine. Um, and we also ask if you could, um, Keep your, keep your text to uh, 25 words, particularly if you have a photo. Um, if you don't, make it up to 50, but we can't, it's a, it's a billboard poster. We can't really, we can't really put, you know, long things on them, a long, you know, a paragraph or so. So 50, 60 words, um, if you can manage that, fine. I can also edit. Here's Gunde in German, auf Deutsch. And then she did it in English. Sabine and Marie from uh, New Zealand. This one is great. I signed the declaration because defending 
Lesbian and all women's rights is the most important fight of our time. We're fighting for the future, for future generations of lesbians, women, and girls. I think it's say Ghislaine, I'm not sure. Excuse me if that's incorrect. I signed the declaration to protect women's diminishing rights to their own private spaces. Nancy, I signed the declaration because the sisters in the past worked hard to get their rights. Their fight cannot be wasted. Let me, there's Emma. Now more than ever, we need to ensure that female dignity, equality, and rights are protected. Having a global network of women from all cultures and political persuasions is a beautiful and powerful thing. That's why I signed. I declare that I, I signed the declaration because not enough is being done globally to uphold and enforce the rights of women from Cheryl in New Zealand. And we have had, I am really happy to say we have had a couple of guys. Um, and here's Dennis. I, I signed the declaration because we've lost voting rights Act of 1965 and Road versus Wave, the transgender ideology is a frontal attack on women's rights. Here's one of the baby ones. One of the mom and babies. I signed the declaration because the dismantling of sex-based rights is resulting in female erasure, silencing, and violence against women and girls. Lauren in San Diego, USA. 